Week six. Are you there? Now, folks, we're six weeks into this. You need to be starting to tell me what God is telling you. I can't teach you this. I can go over it and I can talk about it. I can tell you my experiences. I can tell you what God's done in my life. I can tell you what he's done in this church's life. But this, this study is about you. It's an invitation from God for you to join him in finding out what he wants you to do. <clears throat> so I sure wish somebody would tell me what God's talking to you about today. Jim? More patience. Why? Why would God want you to have more patience? Impatience causes you to get in front of God. And what God wants you to do is learn to follow alongside him not in front of him and I'm not just picking on you Jim but I mean there's a reason why God is speaking to you about patience partly I think you've been starved for some spiritual growth for a long time now you're on fire and you're wanting to grow and typically when we get to that situation, we want it and we want it now. And that's good. You know, there's a difference between patience and being dead. A dead person is not going anywhere. And I'm talking about spiritually dead, not physically dead. But a, a person that begins to really grow spiritually gets impatient. Do we not see it in the disciples? But do you see how God took years and the previous individuals, sometimes he took decades to prepare them for the task in front of them. When I surrendered to preach, God carried me to seminary. I said, God, why in the world don't you give me a church? I filled out every... I, I sent a resume to every church that was looking for somebody within 50 miles of Fort Worth, Texas. And I said, God, why don't you do what you told me I was supposed to do is preach? He called me to preach. I responded to preaching. I'd been doing some. But he also called me to prepare myself intellectually to do it and I could not do both and do them justly so I had to learn some patience 
So what are you going to do about learning patience? Anybody got any advice for him? Don't move unless God tells you to move. But yet every time, because God's, God will speak to you in the patience part. Don't look too far down the road because the little things is what he's going to teach you patience about. He's, now, patience doesn't mean you're not, he's not working in your life. Patience is letting God work the small things out before we work on the big things. And so in your patience, it's watching God work in those little bitty areas and not getting ahead of him so that you don't miss the path. If you walk in beside him, every time he turns, you'll go with him. You ever been in front of somebody and walking and then you look back and they went somewhere a different way? You can't follow anybody in front. You can't follow God if you're in front of him. And it doesn't matter if you're one step or ten steps. You don't need to catch up with God or you don't need to let God catch up with you. You need to be right there with him every day. So patience is a thing in a lot of our lives, you have to learn, especially when he starts showing you new stuff. Because you get excited and you want to go, but then you want to go too fast. Okay. Good. You're learning something. At least God's speaking to you. Well, somebody else. God calling it. Oh, Lynn. Is God, is God asking any of you to make some adjustments in your life? Who said that? Anybody? Anybody else other than Sarah? Sarah been walking. How many years have you been walking with him, Sarah? How many years have you been walking with the Lord? And she's 21 now, so... <clears throat> been 21 a few times 
you think somebody would have all the adjustments out of the way by now, don't you? No way. Go ahead and wipe this out of your mind. You don't ever graduate from growth with God. Not in, not in this life. So there's always going to be some adjustments. You know, there's always some. And the more you begin to devote to Him, the Bible studies, the study times, and being obedient, the more he's doing. And that's when he starts showing you the little things he needs you to do. Um, Peter. We're supposed to talk about Peter this week. What can you tell me about Peter? If I, if I ask you to describe Peter prior to being with Jesus, what would you say about him? Impulsive, what else? Y'all mumbling, somebody tell me. He was an average working guy. Probably pretty rough. He's a fisherman. If you don't know it, fishermen in this day and time were not recreational fishermen. They're not like Bob and Bill and Mike and some of them. They they made a living. They stunk. And they were well thought of as long as they had fish, but they weren't invited to many people's social parties. They were used, abused, and looked down on. Because they smelled bad. They looked bad. They spent nights fishing, fighting the water, and then they come in during the day, and you got to... Get rid of all them nasty things. And um, he was rough. Very impulsive. What about while he was a disciple walking with Jesus? What, what was he then? He was still real close to what he was before. Huh? He was committed, still impulsive because there in the garden, he whipped out that sword and he walked on water. He did a lot of things that others didn't because he was impulsive, but he was also had times of weakness. 
But when did he really change? After Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon him. And there were several events prior to the Pentecost. First of all, they crucified his beloved friend. He didn't understand him as a savior. He was his friend. He was somebody he loved dearly. He was his teacher. They nailed him to a cross. And you know that tore him up because he loved and he trusted Jesus. And he didn't know what he was going to do without him. But three days later, who was the first one to go into the tomb? Peter. That impulsiveness gave him an opportunity to see that be the first one. He didn't hesitate. So God began to reestablish in that period of time and walk with him. And then Pentecost came. And the Peter from Pentecost on still had some of the same traits except God honed those traits into being positive in his walk, in his testimony, his boldness. And Peter just didn't back down. Peter was not politically correct, okay? And he didn't mind you knowing it. And he suffered some consequences because of it. No, I really think, Ed, <clears throat> Jesus reestablished him when he asked him, do you love me? He asked him three times, and, and, G and Peter responded. I, I really don't think he had guilt. I, I, what I see in Peter was he started to understand what his commission was and what his deal was, and he was still bold, but he still had to grow. And that's what Sarah brought up. She'd been saved now for 70 years. And God's still asking her to make adjustments. I've been saved for 40 years. God still teaches me and asks me to make some adjustments. I think Peter hit, Peter hit the ground running. But you remember when Cornelius came to invite him? to come and, and bear testimony? <clears throat> what, did, what did God do just before Cornelius' servants got there? He, say, he sent him a vision of all these foods being lowered down and an angel saying, take and kill and eat. What was Peter's response? Never, Lord, I wouldn't need anything unclean. And the angel of God said, what God has clean, don't call unclean. And God was speaking to him and moving through the Judeus, Judaism law not to associate with Gentiles. And so, that's all right, Randall, you can call them back. Probably, somebody would, probably your insurance salesman. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
But see, I, I, I think this is what we're missing about Peter. We think that the day of Pentecost carried Peter from immaturity to maturity. It was just the beginning. It was part of it, and, and God moved him a long ways, but he still had things to teach him. Now you go on over to First and Second Peter and look at what he wrote. Of growing and walking and see. So you see, when, when you're on mission with God, you're on mission, but God's still growing you. He's still moving you. He's still teaching you. But you're our own mission then. Quit looking for this imaginary job that you thought up. Because until God tells you what he wants you to do, the mission he has for you is right in front of you. It's not something down the road. It's living every day and doing what Rhonda did. She walked away from this guy, and she busied him with him a little bit, but when she got to, the, to her vehicle, God said, Rhonda, remember that Bible you found? Go give that to him. Now, it had been real easy for her to say, well, God, I'll, next time I'll catch him. Because she's heading out. And I know Rhonda, when she heads somewhere, she's, <clears throat> she, she's going. She made an adjustment in her life to do what God spoke to her about. Now, didn't she? She made an adjustment. She took time. A lot of times when God's asking you to do something, it's going to interfere with what your plans are. Because you've got things to do and places to be and stuff, and God says, I need you right now. And, and, and it's not always convenient, it's not always easy, and it's not always comfortable. Because you don't know how somebody's going to respond. Rhonda, did you have any idea how he was going to respond when you get? Were you a little bit fearful? You still had a little bit of doubts that you wasn't for sure and. Uh, Yeah, but you did it anyway. See, a lot of times you never know, and the more you do it, the easier it is because then you realize, okay, I'm going to do what God tells me, makes them mad, then okay. Because God had already been working in his life, and you didn't know that. And you met a need. You may not ever know the full results of that between here and heaven. <clears throat> the whole idea of attract its, its parts, just short, various scriptures. I don't know. Been called a track 40 years. But all I can imagine is it's just a, a track 
to a journey and he's got various stuff um an outreach tool you could call it about anything but i don't know we call them tracks that's what somebody told me to call it so um Uh, but it, it's a handy deal. But the main thing, you see, uh, your adjustments are not always major. But they are an adjustment. And then there's the crisis of belief. It'd be real easy to say, I don't know that I want to approach him. So that crisis of belief is that little bit of doubt. That that lack of understanding is the and, and so it's at that point you make the choice. Do I be obedient to God or do I just refuse to? Well, this I'm going to tell you. You turn God down three or four times, and, and I, I promise you this, he won't ask you very many more times than that to do anything. His love and mercy is unending, but his... His invitation to you has a limit on it. Now, I don't know what that limit is, but you're never guaranteed another opportunity to do that because if you continually tell him no, then he very well may not come back and ask you to do anything else. Now, there's some words that I want to hear from my God that's going to mean a whole lot to me, and I hope it means a whole lot to you. When I stand before God, there's these words that I pray that I hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because those words are words of approval from the God who saved me. Now, if you don't do what God's called you to do, you will not hear those words because you never did what he asked you to do. Now, what if you miss a few things and you do good at times? And What do you think then? Any, any characters in the Bible that you can think of that were good at some times and not so good at other times? <laughs> Bob said most of them. You know why? Because all of them were just like us. Peter, he messed up a few times. He did right a lot. The more he walked with God, the better he did. King David, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, you know what Jacob means? Trickster. What a name. It's almost like being named Jezebel, you know. <laughs> but we don't have any Jezebels in here. We just got a Melinda. <laughs> no, I, I say Melinda, I, I see some close relevance in some scripture there. But, but think about that. For just a moment, try to put yourself in God's shoes and that you were talking to yourself 
and you looked over and you said, Self, I want you to go do this. And you said no. Okay, Self, need you to go do this for me. Not today, God, I'm kind of busy. Goes on for a month. You hadn't had time for God yet. You think God's going to look your way to ask you to do much of anything else? Or maybe he looks over at that person next to you that you despise and don't think a lot of. And he asks them to go do something. And they get up and go do it. You know, if you walk by them here on this earth, there's a good chance you're going to walk by them in heaven. And they very well may be the one standing right beside you when God looks your way and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you start to step up. He said, no, not you. Oh, Joe, that guy beside you, he always did what I asked him to do. And you never did. Now, heaven's going to be a wonderful place, but it's going to be a place of reality and truth, too. And when you stand in front of that judgment seat, there will be nothing but truth. Literally, everything that you've said, done, will be brought before you. And God's going to judge you based on that. So, what this study is about it's learning to respond when God says, Jim, I need you to have some patience. And Jim says, okay, God, how do I have patience? Learn to stand behind me. Not way behind me, but behind me. Move when I tell you to move. Learn to listen to my voice. And you'll be all right. When God looks at Sarah and he says, Sarah, I got some things you still need to deal with. Been saved 70-something years, but we still need to deal with some things. Sarah says, okay. Or he looks at one of you and he says, I need you to study a little more, pray a little more, walk a little more. Be a little stronger in your witness, wherever you may be, work, home, eating at a cafe or whatever. Just be a little bolder. Be a little more helpful. Go do what you did this past weekend. Work your rear end off at a park cooking funnel cakes, handing out tracks, lining up floats, all the other things you did, and doing it in the name of the Lord, and then being thankful, not griping or complaining, but saying, this is one thing I can do for God, and I'm glad I can do it. I'm glad I can do it.
Because you're no different than Peter. You're no different than James or John. I hope you're different than a few of the others. But the men and women of God always found opportunity and time to do what God called them to do. They weren't great men and women prior to their walk with God. They were great men and women because of their walk with God. Okay? And that walk is available for you. So anyway, do your studies and help me. We've went to a lot of, Caleb went to a lot of trouble getting these books but I felt like you needed that book to do it because I wanted you to do that and learn because I think it's one of the most important things that you can ever learn is to walk with God yeah And, and see, I, I've, I've often shared the story about a few years after I got saved, I was witnessing a lot of people at work, and there was this one individual that um, I knew God was telling me to witness to him. And, and I said, well, God, if you want me to witness to him, I, we'd park for break time or lunch or something. And I said, if you want me to witness to him, you have Tim come up here to me. Well, guess what Tim did? He fired up, pulled up beside me, and we was talking. And God just telling me, go ahead and talk to him about Jesus. Not Tim. Mm -hmm. He'll get mad and everything. And I thought of every reason why I shouldn't. And I didn't. And and that's haunted me to this day. And that's been um, 36 years ago. And people, I've had people say, well, just go hunt him up and do it now. No. I didn't do it when God asked me to. That's when the time was right. I've never even seen him since 1987 when I left the coal mine. I've never seen him again. So I don't have... The, but the, the deal is not could I go do it now. The deal was I've never forgotten not doing it when I was supposed to. Don't know a thing about him. 37 years, don't know if he's alive or dead right now. But I have prayed regularly that God would send somebody that would be obedient because I was face-to-face with that opportunity to um, be obedient, and I was not. So I hope and pray with all my might that when I stand before God, he will reassure me there was somebody faithful enough to witness to him and at least give him opportunity to make a decision. But it's also been a reminder for these 30-some-odd years that when you say no, 
you may not ever have another opportunity to do that. And I, I'm just telling you, that haunts me to this day. And that's why I say, don't, don't find yourself saying no. Because it may have eternal consequences for somebody. Ron, those are good. And, the, and, and, and I guess what I'm telling you, it won't matter if I, if I lead 100,000 people to the Lord, there's one I didn't. One I didn't even witness to. And um, I don't want to be there. And I don't think you want to either. So when God tells you to do something, do it. Because you never know what God's already done in those individuals' lives. They had them primed salvation right then and you may have been the only one that could reach them I still say to this day there wasn't about one or two people I would have li listened to about salvation anyway I knew a lot of folks went to church it wasn't many of them I thought no whole lot about but there was one or two I thought enough about and had enough respect that I'd listen to them and if they had said no I might not have been here today. And you might not have this church here today. Some of you might not have been saved. Some of you might be anywhere. But you see, because one responded to what God asked him to do, then my life was changed. And not speaking less, I've got a daughter that teaches school today, so she's able to share the gospel with school kids. i got a second one that's a missionary in Europe, reaching people for Christ, her and her husband, and their children. Then we got another one that's my baby of the family, been around the world, been NASCAR chaplain, Mickey Mouse Club, and now back here at the, the farm making a difference in people's lives. But it goes back to one deciding to be obedient at the right time. So everybody I've led to the Lord, everybody I've impacted, and everybody my children impact goes back to one incident of somebody saying yes instead of no pretty heavy and you never know when you may lead the next Billy Graham to the Lord be obedient Father we all live busy lives and it's at times it's difficult it's difficult to get into your word But, Father, it's the most important thing that we can do.
we need you, Father. Somehow, some way, we need you to teach us what it means to be obedient. Somehow, we need to find the time and the effort and the desire to let you do whatever you need to do in our lives and then respond to that task that's in front of us. I'm thankful that you're working through some individuals. I know there's some others that maybe just don't feel like theirs is important, but wherever they are at is where somebody else is. So continue to speak to us through this study and through the things we see. And I pray that we're always obedient and learn to be that way so that we don't have to deal with the guilt. And we move forward, Father. I move forward. I'm not going to be held back by the guilt. But there's always that one time, Father, that I live with that I never want to repeat. So make something good out of it. And don't ever let me make that mistake again. And I pray that these people which you brought to this place never make that mistake. That we always respond when you tell us to respond. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll still be in Peter next week. We'll get into the book. I'll help you with the answers.